0: 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. We're going to be looking at all 13 verses tonight. Why don't we start just by reading those verses together. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols... We know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other but God, none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be God's many and Lord's many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him, howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled but meat commendeth us not to god for neither if we eat are we the better neither if we eat not are we the worst but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak for if any man see the which if any man see thee which hath knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Therefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this passage and the time together with your church in it. We ask for your blessing upon this time. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would illuminate our eyes to the truths of your word. Help us to apply them deep in our hearts so we might live by them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a great passage of Scripture. It's such a helpful passage of Scripture. It's good for the church, it's good for your homes, it's good for you as an individual Christian. All of us, to one extent, lean too far to one side or the other of the issue we're talking about here tonight, not necessarily the issue of eating meat offered to idols but the issue of Christian liberty. And so I think Paul writes here a good commission to the church to go and live with a balance and that's where we all need to be here. Now he is answering a question. We're in this section in Corinthians where it seems to be that they've sent word to him, here's some things we need you to write and address us on. We've spent way too much time the last several weeks looking at uh, marriage and singleness and tonight we entered into this portion on um, Christian liberty. In fact, I've titled this the weaker brother because Paul deals with here the strong brother and the weak brother and how we should interact with one another now we don't take issue to the issue of eating meat maybe you do maybe you don't that's that's fine that's your personal preference but it's not a thing in our culture that it's it's up against our religion anymore none of you are being saved out of false worship where meat sacrificed to idols is a thing but we do have some things in our culture in our families, and our church here, that would fall under Paul's wise guidance to us here. Can I drink alcohol? Can I trick or treat on Halloween? Can I go to the movies? Can I play video games? Can I listen to secular music? When we get to dealing with all of these things, we have to decide, well, let me ask you, what's the first thing when you're going to ask a can I question, what's the first thing you must ask? Can I do this? What's the answer? Yes or no one why? All right, is it a sin? Where do we find out if it's a sin or not? The Bible and one other place. The law. Right? I was, I was talking to a guy about smoking marijuana recently. Not me smoking marijuana, but me and him are having this conversation. And he was trying to make the point. He's making his case for it. And I, I'm neither here nor there. I would say politically, I'm mostly libertarian. I, I think the government should stay out of my business as much as possible. But as, as he and I were talking about it, I stopped him there for a minute and I said, well, no, it's still not legal in Tennessee, right? And he said, well, not really. And I was like, well, it either is or it isn't. So I think probably first, for Christians, for sure, we're going to go to the Bible first before we go to the, the law of the land we live in. But what does our Bible teach us about the law of the land we live in? Obey it. And, and we understand there'll be times where we don't obey it if it causes us to, get, to, go, to go against our Bibles, right? So those would be things. But... Is it legal? Is it allowed in the scriptures? And then we got to think about things like, is this helpful? Is it edifying? Does it build up? Those are all like questions of conscience, questions of morality. Then we get into this area of Paul's dealing with tonight. Is it lawful and is it expedient? So I need to pick one of these and pick on it here just a little bit. It would be easy to use Halloween because we're so close to Halloween, but I'm not going to use Halloween. So let's talk about the movies. All right, raise your hand if you think it's a sin. No, Raise your hand if you think it's okay to go to the movies. Yeah, culture's changed enough. Like if we'd asked that 20 years ago, how many of you grew up in that church where you weren't about to raise your hand? You weren't about to be seen going to the movies. If you're going to go to the movies, where did you go? The next county. That's where you went to the movies. All right, is it okay to go to G-rated movies? You're all right with that, raise your hand. All right, you're all right going to PG-rated movies? All right, we're losing some people. They either don't like to vote in church or they don't like PG movies. Is it all right to go to PG-13 movies? (laughs) Depends. Okay, so it can be all right, but it might not be. And you're going to use what to make your God for this? Your brain, right? She's going to use her brain. and She's going to determine, should I be watching this or should I not? Is it, are, are you offended by that? Does Dana offend you guys that she's going to use her brain to decide what movie she goes to? That doesn't offend you. It offends Preston sometimes. Okay. Oh, yes. Praise God. Preaching does pay off. Just, just kidding. Dana and I have a feud going, so this is part of that. Can you go to R-rated movies? Who can go to R-rated movies? Three of you? All right. So I went to Liberty University. Liberty was known in the Bible college circles as they're liberal. At Liberty, we looked at the Bible college circles as they're legalistic. Let's see, what do we got back here? PCC? Man, PCC, Liberty. You don't trust me around your children, do you, Steve? (laughs) Even at Liberty, though, they had changed the rules over the years, and you could now go to movies. But you better not be seen walking into an R-rated movie. And then every now and then they'd put out a notice, this movie is rated PG-13, Dana's policy here, but you can't go see it. If a, uh, what do they call, I was never a dorm student. What are the people that monitor the dorms? Hall not a hall Residence. monitor. RAs. 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 Yeah, the R, you were an RA. Police, she's mm-hmm. police. If the RA catches you, you're going to get in trouble. And I don't know what the trouble was, but this was the case. So what are we to do with this in the church? Because I can tell right now, some of you are already offended at daily. <laughs> Just kidding, sorry. Well, how do we handle this? How do we keep unity in the church? There are some of us that would, we take these things and we would call them gray areas. There are some of us who take these things and we'll say, no, it's, it's not gray at all, it's black and white. Some of you, that's how you're wired. Everything's black and white all the time. There is no gray area. Some of you are just the opposite. All, everything all the time is gray. And you're, you're fine with no black and white. Well, who's right? Who's right? Yeah. No, I am. <laughs> and then who is wrong? You are. <laughs> so how do we have unity? How do we have family? How do we have community with this? Now, I'm not going to answer these questions for you. You're not going to leave here tonight and decide, well, it's all right for me to drink alcohol and dress up and go trick-or-treating and then go watch a movie afterwards. But some of you were paying attention and you got the joke. Some of you aren't paying attention and you didn't get the joke. But I think I could help you tonight who think you're wrong, ease up the tension toward that, Seeing that you're not, there's probably some things you can do and enjoy. You, act, you can fish on a Sunday. Did y'all know that? It's fun. I've never done it before like 1 p.m. on a Sunday. I'm still not sure if that's allowable. But I, I fished at 2.30 in the afternoon, still got back to church in the evening. Some of you, I think I can help you tonight to see that you're not always right. You think you are, but you're not. And then Paul's going to give us some real good reasons for this for the sake of our brotherhood, for the, for the church. Uh, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. So how do you decide what to do and what not to do while keeping Christian fellowship and unity alongside accountability and discipline? Whew, I just realized something. I, I, I saw that 725 and I was up here thinking, I'm going to have to hurry. But I have to 8 o'clock tonight. Yay, this is great. Paul answers the Corinthian church's question here. And he says in verse number one, now it's touching the things offered to idols. So they've asked about this. And he gives us some wise guidance along the way. He's going to talk to us, and I'm going to give you three headings tonight. The first is in the first three verses, love versus knowledge. And then the next three verses, four, five, and six, he talks about what what we know. And then for verse seven and on, he talks about what some do not know all of these things are key and are, are living and associating with each other. Paul affirms, yeah, I know you know these things and I know what you know, but you need to remind yourself of what other people don't know yet. That's a very important thing. And in this thing of knowledge, what we know and we don't know, because we're, we're a Bible church. You want me to teach you the Bible? Some of you are already watching your clocks. You've been at this four and a half minutes and you haven't given us one verse yet. Get to the meat, buddy. That's good. But sometimes we're so strong in what we know that we forget to love. And Paul's going to deal with that here tonight. So let me give you a little background and then we'll get more into it. For Paul's day, there were mostly two sources to purchase your meat. Now, obviously, there's still the option if you raised your meat and killed, processed yourself or whatever. But for those in a city like Corinth who had to purchase meat, there were two sources to purchase their meat. You could purchase it from the market where the prices would be a little bit higher because that was their fill. That's what they were into. They did groceries. You could also purchase it from the local temples. And now, if you remember, we first started our study in Corinthians. I showed you that little quick film, all the different statues and gods and places of worship, all of the real immorality that they involved in their pagan worship. And Corinth was a real um, kind of a hellish town. And so you had all of this going on, and they used... Animals for sacrifices, the devil always has a counterfeit, right? So the same as the Jews would have had their thing, the Gentiles in Corinth were doing their own thing and their pagan worship to their pagan gods. Well, they had all this meat (coughs) left over. Typically what they would do is process the animal. They would get rid of the things you weren't going to eat, the hooves, the organs, these things. They would burn in their sacrifices. The nice cuts of meat then would be left over and they'd sell them off. Maybe the, the priest would take some home or the guy who was in charge, the butcher of that That temple would take some home and they would sell the rest off. They had plenty available because they were always doing these sacrifices and that meat was much cheaper. So this is the situation there. Most in the church in Corinth in Paul's day realized that these idols could not contaminate their food. So they took no issue in purchasing the meat available from the temple's. But it seems that there are some in the church in Corinth who struggle that Paul, uh, that, that Paul has to write about this. They're struggling that people would actually eat this meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And so he has the right to address what is going on. Now, I want you to note here, he doesn't so much address the practice as he does the condition of the hearts on each side of this practice. And that's what we've got to get down to tonight. Can I do this or can't I? Well, let's get down to, and and here's the other part of that. Should they be doing this or shouldn't they? Well, let's get down to the condition of the hearts of the people. And that will be our guide. There was a potential division in the church. So these leaders asked Paul for his counsel. He begins with addressing love and knowledge. In verse number one, he declares those, to those asking the questions, He says, we know that we have knowledge. Chapter 8, verse 1, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Now, Paul's already alluded to this in this letter. He doesn't write to the Corinthians. Look back at chapter 1. He doesn't write to the Corinthians and say, boy, you guys, you don't know your Bibles. You haven't been getting your memory verses down. You don't know the choir songs. No, he doesn't say this at all. He says, I can't believe you're living the way you're living because you, you know these things. Chapter one, verse five, in the very beginning of the letter, he says, in everything, you were enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. So this is a group of people who are strong in the word, what it would have been at that time. They knew doctrine and they were strong in doctrine. These are not new Christians and these are not immature Christians These are mature Christians. These should have been strong and disciplined Christians. Still, Paul has to remind them we should be edifying one another. He talks about being puffed up. Knowledge puffeth up. Rather than you being puffed up, Paul writes, rather than you being arrogant or haughty in what you know, how about you be loving towards your fellow Christians and you build them up in the Lord? I I couldn't find a source for this, but there's a preacher who would say this pretty often. Some Christians grow, others just swell. I think this is right in line with what Paul is saying here tonight. Knowledge puffeth up. Don't miss Paul's challenge here. Corinthians, are you being motivated more by your liberty or by your Christian love? Already he's addressed the advancement of this group in regards to spiritual maturity, Christian liberty, even gifts. Chapter 6, verse number 12. I'm flip back there. He said to them in that address, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Chuck Swindoll said, the Corinthians had knowledge of their freedom in Christ, but this knowledge had led some to become arrogant rather than loving toward others. Their pride caused them to abuse their freedom, overstepping the bounds of wisdom and holiness into the mire of careless folly and sin. This had already occurred in the issue of sexual immorality. And we studied that in chapter number five. Paul said, I heard this is going on in your churches, and it shouldn't be going on in your church. So you and I must as Christians use not only knowledge, but love. We mustn't consider only what is lawful for ourselves, but what would be best for others as well. And in this way, in love, we can be building them up. That's what he says here. Knowledge puffs up. But charity, love, edifies. Love builds up. Now in verse number two, he kind of gives them a dose of humility. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Not as smart as you think you are. You think you've got this thing figured out, but you don't know what you don't know. You know what you know, but you don't know what you don't know. If you have something figured out, just give it a bit. You might get some more information and decide you're going to change your mind. When I was a young preacher, uh, my pastor said, you try, to, you try to fix the whole world every sermon. He said, you use your pulpit as a bully pulpit. And he said, you want, you want to fix everybody in the room all in that one sermon. I said, well, oh, yeah, of course I do. That's why I preach. And he said, well, it doesn't work like that. Well, why was that that way? Because I thought I'd figured it out. One of the things I've hated about starting preaching at such a young age is, There's been a lot of sermons that I've trashed because I thought, oh, boy, was I ever wrong on that? There's been a lot of convictions that I've preached that I've had to look back on and say, man, I was way off on that. And I think that's okay. I think that's always going to be the case for the growing and the maturing Christian. At what point will we ever have all of this thing about God figured out? Never? I don't know that we ever will. We'll always be learning. We'll always be coming to the knowledge of Him. And, and, And He's unknowable. Fully. So we just know in bits and chunks at a time. So here Paul says, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. You will find that there is always more to come to know. Now, I think this is where the guilt for the modern church comes in. Because we like to say, yeah, but I've got scripture on it. And we'll get to love here in just a minute. But let's leave love out all for just a minute. Often we just want to hold someone to the letter of the law. Well, this passage presents a conundrum for this. And I want to teach you this in the scriptures tonight. If you miss all of the rest, get a hold of this right here. So Paul's writing about meats offered to idols. He's going to end with verse number 13. And he's basically saying, if, it, if meat make my brother offend, I'll eat no flesh by the world's standing, lest I make my brother to offend. But along the way, he's, he basically says meat is meat. We know that these gods are not real. So we can eat it. It doesn't change the value of the meat. But turn back with me to Acts chapter 15. Now those of you who are legalists, you're going to like this. Those of you who are liberty, I'm going to hurt your feelings for a minute, but I'll, come, I'll get back to you in just a second, okay? We want to take 1 Corinthians 8 and say, see, we, we, have, we have liberties. But 1 Corinthians 20 has, or 15 has, or Acts 15 has already addressed this. The Jerusalem Council. Do the Gentiles have to be circumcised? You remember this? They all met together. They're trying to figure out what to do. All the Jewish Christians had been circumcised under Judaism. Now these Gentiles are coming into the faith. Well, don't they need to be like us? Well, they decided what we're going to do is we're going to write a letter. We're going to send it to the Gentile churches. And here's what they said. Verse 20, Acts 15, 20. But what we write unto them, that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornication, and from things strangled and from blood. Alright, now that's the plan. You've given you some context in Acts 15. What did they leave out of their plan? Nothing about circumcision in there. That's how bureaucracy will do you sometimes, isn't it? We came to you with this problem. Now we have this whole other set of problems. Verse 29. They wrote the letter, they seemed, they sent it to them. Verse 28, they said, It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That's how Brother Scotty met the teenage boys when they came to church tonight. They said, I don't work out too hard, but this is what I need you to do. And they worked hard. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you. And to those of you who didn't get here early, you you escaped. There's surely some more toting they can do after church, right, Brother Scotty? Verse 29, that you abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication from which, if ye you keep yourselves, ye you shall do well. Fare ye well. All right, go back to First Corinthians. So we have a problem. Is, what's our guide? Can I or can't I? The Christian first goes where? The Bible. What does the Bible say? Can we eat meat offered to idols or not? Okay, yes. Nah. First Corinthians, or Acts 15 says, nope, abstain from meat offered to idols. Somebody say no. no. Yes, we can. First Corinthians chapter 8, Paul said that those idols aren't real and I can eat whatever I want anyways, as long as I don't do it to the offense of my brother. What, what's right? Is God confused? Often as believers, we'll put our thumbs down on something or put our foot down on something and we'll say, but the Bible says. I'm going to ask you the question here in that regard, then where is the love? You see, About anything in Scripture, not not all things, there are some first-level doctrines that that we're not going to budge on. Jesus was born of a virgin. It was a miraculous birth. He he was resurrected from the dead. God raised Him from the dead. That was a miraculous resurrection. There's things like that that we're going to be clear on. But then there's second-level things and there's third-level things. And you get into even stuff like this where you're like... I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. What do we do? Well, Paul's instruction here is you don't know what you think you know. And then verse three, he says, if you love God, the same is known of him. So knowledge puffs up, love edifies. And the way you know you know God is because your love relationship with him. A Christian in the Corinthian church could easily say, we have the letter from Jerusalem. Clearly, it states that we should avoid these meats. Now, let me tell you what that looked like in 2022. Coming to you in Christian love, I've got the letter of the law. You're wrong. You need to repent. Now, there are certainly times where that's the case. And we do have to call a brother or a sister in that. We've dealt with that in detail in Corinthians. We've dealt with that in detail in the book of Matthew when we were looking at the doctrine of the church. But here, I could take another verse and tell you, well, well, hang on. They said that initially, but now look at what they're saying here too. Is Paul wrong and James right? James wrote the letter. Is James right and Paul wrong? Are these guys competing with one another? We have the Apostle Paul saying, meat is meat. Derek Thomas offers a good resolution to this conundrum I presented to you here. He says, what we have here is a case of Gentile liberty, giving way out of a principle of love to the weaker consciences of their Jewish Christian brothers and sisters. Gentiles are free not to obey these laws. But when Jewish Christians are present, they are being asked to refrain from a position of strength and not from a position that suggests that unless they comply, they cannot be considered Christians. Paul writes here, if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing nothing, yet as he ought. But still, we often in the church will say, we have Scripture on it. Well, there are things that Scripture's not completely clear on at times. And then what are we to do? We're to prefer our brother. It doesn't mean that we always refrain. But it might mean that in a time, we refrain. For a particular purpose, we refrain. So Paul communicates here in verse number 2 that a know-it-all attitude is not the evidence of holiness. It's the evidence of ignorance. Mearsby says the person who really knows truth is only too conscious of how much he does not know. It is one thing to know doctrine and quite something else to know God. It is possible to grow in Bible knowledge and yet not grow in grace or in one's personal relationship with God. So Paul puts forward here for us, love is the test. Then in verse number three, he ranks the importance of love in regards to our relationship with God. If any man love God, the same is known of him. He wants him to place a premium on love and not on knowledge. Now, we know for sure you can take this too far in the wrong direction. We live in that world that has kind of just put aside doctrine all the way and said, well, well, well it's for love. Well, it's not love to just ignore some things that are blatant in the scriptures. Because while I'm talking about things that are gray areas tonight, there are things that are not gray areas. That from Genesis to Revelation, God abhors, God says they're wrong, God says it's sin, and He, just, he makes no bones about it. Well, in those areas, if we're to say, well, we just want to love people in spite of that, well, it's fine to love the sinner, but you still have to deal with the sin. You mothers, you love your boys, but when they come in stinking, what are they going to have to do before they get mama's love? But wash. I love you, but go take a shower real quick. Then we can cuddle. We can't cuddle right now while you're smelling the way that you're smelling there. It's no different for us in the church. But in this regard, and I would say for us as a doctrinal church, we often go too far. It's almost like we're afraid to love because they might sin. That's not how we're to operate. We're to love when we find out their sin. We're to help them deal with their sin in Christian love and we're to continue that relationship going forward. We've gotten to the place where we're so legalistic that nobody can do anything and they're afraid to move because we might just shoot them down. And then what are we to do? Well, that's not loving. The other side's not loving either. You can do whatever you want and we just don't care. Kids play in the street and they get run over by a car. In this instance, Paul said, you have the knowledge. And I'll say to Harpeth, you have the knowledge, but you need the love. Look at chapter 13. We're going to get there in a few weeks. But I want to just go ahead and skip you there. Look at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and I have not what? Charity, love. I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, and I have not charity, I am what? And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, I it profiteth me how much? Nothing. Sproul says, the Corinthians should be less concerned about what they know than about who knows them. God knows you because He loves you. There are people in your life that you should love. You, you're mature, stronger brother. There's going to be weaker Christians in your life for the sake of your love for them and for the sake of you wanting their faith not to get ruined. You should exercise Restraint on your liberty to love them. Look at 1 John chapter 4. I would say to some of you who are awfully legalistic, you should exercise your liberty. That also helps a weaker brother. Someone's new to the faith. They don't know how to speak Christianese yet. They don't know how to act just right. They're not in the club all the way. You know, they're sort of figuring things out. They may do things that's not typical around the church. Ease up. You were that way. You were green at one point. You were new to the faith. In fact, some of the things that we're so staunch and strict about, we should probably just stop them all together anyways. Don't be so free with your liberty that you're a stumbling block. Don't be so legalistic that you're a stumbling block. Be a stumbling block on either side. All right, speaking of love, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 19. Easy verse. We love him, why? This is what Paul says in chapter 8, verse 3. If any man love God, the same is known of him. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. You can go back to 1 Corinthians. MacArthur says, love is the proof of knowing God. MacDonald concludes this heading very well in what he says. He says, if anyone makes his decisions in such matters as meats offered to idols out of love to God and manned and not out of mere knowledge, that person wins the smile of God's approval. I don't know who said this. I found this quote and I couldn't find a source. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Wearsby gets credited for it a lot if you Google that. But I read Wearsby on it and he, he doesn't claim it. He says, I don't, he says too, I don't know who says this. But this is where you've got to be as a church. This is where you've got to be as a Christian. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. We've got the fallen middle there. Paul wanted the stronger to help the weaker grow to be strong. And, and be careful how you're hearing this. Because I'm reading faces right now, and I think I'm appealing to the legalists, and I don't mean to, but that's my typical nature. But to those of you who tend more legalistic, don't forget you could be just a stumbling block to the weaker brother because of your legalism. You could set such a high standard, they say, I'll never attain to this. And they give up on the faith. But the flip side to that would be, I'm just going to go to the way of the world. And so I'll just reach everybody and they see no reason to be reached. Brother Homer said in his example, he set aside a difference for the sake of testimony. He needed them to see there was something different. That's holiness and that's that's important as well. Paul wanted the stronger to help the weaker grow to be strong, but he didn't want the stronger to compromise their strength to please the weaker. So, Love versus knowledge. Then he gets into what is this knowledge. What do we know? Verse 4, 5, and 6. And verse 4, he says there is one true God and all idols are fake and made up and dead. You know that for sure. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. one I oh, need to hit something real quick. It's out of line in my sermon. Not, like, I'm not going to say something out of line. This I should say later in the sermon, but I don't say it while I think about it because it's not in my notes and I don't want to forget. We just, so the kids had their discipleship groups and we, I had one with the parents here and we were talking about the role of parents, the role of children, all these kinds of things. A lot of parents get into what we're talking about here tonight and kind of take the avenue of, well, if my kids can't do it, then I'm not going to do it either. That's not right. You're, you're an adult. You can vote, they can't vote. You can drive a car, they can't drive a car, etc. right? And don't play those games with yourself. There are things that you as an adult have the right to tell your kid, no, you can't do that. Well, why not? You're doing it, I'm the adult. When you're an adult, you can do whatever you want to do, but until then, that, and that's perfectly fine. Now, some of you don't believe in that, and some of you would say, oh, that's hypocritical. That's not hypoc- hypocritical at all. There are some things that children don't need to have like cookies and milk at night. That's for me. Just kidding. I think everybody should have dessert every day. If I run for office, that's going to be one of the things. Dessert for everybody every day. I don't care how big the national debt gets, we're going to to fund it. (laughs) So there's one true God. All the other idols, they're fake, they're dead, they're powerless. So... There's this fear then. This meat is sacrificed to idols. Uh, is it going to affect me? Am I, am I going to be given over to this demon possession? Am I going to be dealing with the occult? Am I going to be dealing with this pagan worship? Well, these idols don't have any power. So Paul says on this knowledge to the mature believers, he says, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. He says, you can eat this meat. And it doesn't affect your conscience because you realize there's one true God and he's in charge and all these other things are fake. Swindoll, again, he says, since idols are merely human creations and since there's only one true God, eating meat that has been sacrificed to a piece of carved wood or molded silver is really inconsequential. I would agree with him except to add on and delicious. But to someone whose background was I used to go down to the pagan temple there and we would do all this sinful stuff and God saved me out of that. It's a little different for them. He's going to get to that in a minute, but he starts with, here's what we know. Now, I also want you to consider context. Paul's not addressing spiritual warfare here. He's addressing Christian liberty, weaker brother, stronger brother. If he were talking about spiritual warfare, which he does, in fact, later in this book, he deals with spiritual warfare as real, and powerful and something we need to be on guard for. But here in this regard, he's just making the point that you eating this meat because it was involved in something horrible doesn't mean that you, you can't eat it for those reasons. He's going to give you a reason maybe not to eat the meat, but he's, those are not the reasons. He says, this is what we know. Secondly, verse 5 and 6, he tells more of what we know. There are many gods, but there's only one true God. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many, lords many, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. So this is a great Christian worldview that should take care of any type of fear that the believer has in this context. Paul is making clear, while we know this, everyone else though isn't there yet. Think back to Acts chapter number 15. What did the Jerusalem Council conclude? These, the Gentiles had no issues. But the Jews being scattered abroad who would encounter these saved Gentiles might take offense to some of the things the Gentiles were comfortable with that the Jews had never been comfortable with. They said, when you're with these guys, refrain. For those brothers' sake. You're free to not obey these laws. But when Jewish Christians are present, we ask you to refrain from a position of strength. Now, that leads to Paul's conclusion on the matter, verses 7-13, through 13, what some do not know. See, you have this background, right? Love versus knowledge. Be sound in the Word. Know the Word. But do it in love. And then Paul affirms, I know what you know and you know what you know. Now, here's where we get to the root of things. Verse 7 Some in Corinth still have a very weak conscience due to their past. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge. Everybody understand this? Not everybody sitting in here tonight knows everything about the Bible that you know. Not everybody in here tonight has some things, even though we have the like the the written word on it, God kind of has to work it over in our life to really reveal it to us, doesn't he? There's some aha moments in the faith. You've read about it, you know about a thing from the scriptures, but then you have to live through it and you're like, oh man, I really get it now. Well, everybody else hasn't been through that before. So it's the same thing here. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. It's hard for them to eat. Maybe they had boisterously taken part of the wickedness of these false religions that now result in this budget meat. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm going to practice good stewardship. That same steak cost me $5 more down at the market, but I can get it over here at this temple out the back door cheaper. But there are some who say, "Mm, that drums up old memories, past sins, things I was glad to be saved from. I can't do that. And you invited me to dinner and... I knew that's where that state came from. That's hard for me. Sproul says believers who have weak consciences are unable to dissociate various elements and pagan rituals from idolatry itself. This makes me think of O.B. Miller. How many of you, he's homebound, doesn't get to come anymore. How many of you know O.B. Miller? Okay, more people than I thought. Good. How many of you know that O.B. Miller is a very gifted musician? Yeah. National symphony. Yeah, they're a gifted musician, talented. When he would come to church, they may be watching the live stream tonight, he may not want me talking about him. I didn't think about that. Doggone this live stream. (laughs) When he would come to church, I always loved to stand near him. He would sing, what what part of the song did he sing? Like a baritone? Boy, you you felt like you were standing next to somebody who really knew what they were doing with the music notes when Ogie Miller would sing. And I found out, I think he played trombone. Is that right? Am I remembering correctly? I think it's a trombone, maybe not. Trumpet? So I, I said, Brother Obie, there's some songs at church that would be neat to have a trumpet with. You should bring your trumpet to church and play it. And he, he talked to me privately and he, and he wouldn't mind me sharing this. And he said, I'm not saying the trumpet's sinful or it's bad. He said, but the music scene that I was involved in was before I was saved. And he said, once God saved me out of that, he said, I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And I said, hey, that's understandable. And I honor that. Don't, you know, I we'll won't ever bring it up again. Don't bring your trumpet to church. In fact, we've, if you're here, if we had a trumpet, we probably wouldn't play it that Sunday. Why? Because I love Brother Obie. Really? Man. That that's something, isn't it? Yeah, very gifted musician. I'll tell you, I, I don't have any issue eating in a bar. But I remember as a kid when, like, Applebee's, Chili's, some of these, what, they're not called bars, they're called um, bars and grills, kind of became a thing. It was like a question of conscience in the church. Can we go there or not? I don't think that's a thing anymore. But I remember like our family, my parents, we took a stand. You'd go to Pizza Hut and Captain D's, but you couldn't go to, you know, Applebee's. I didn't ever know what was in there, but I wanted to know. <laughs> I wanted to go. <laughs> then as I got older, you know, that kind of died off and even... Pizza Hut had beer, so it wasn't. You weren't taking that stand anymore. I don't guess. I never understood, as a young person, the issue for my parents or the other adults in that. In fact, now it's not the same for me. I can I can go to Applebee's or any of these places. I can I can belly right up to the bar and get myself a hamburger. And it's, I don't have it, I, don't, I don't feel like I'm sinning. I don't feel like it. It's hurting my testimony. I don't I don't have any issue with it. If you do, I won't go there with you. All right. But I've come to learn as an adult now, there are things from my paths that still haunt me and I avoid situations, I avoid conversations, I avoid thoughts that deal with those things that still haunt me. And then I think back to the adults from my childhood and I'll say, well, the reason they steered things the way that they did is because these things drummed up old feelings, old desires, old passions, old memories of things. They just don't want to remember anymore. That's understandable. It's, It's perfectly fine. No, there's two sides to this coin. Just because you find yourself there doesn't mean you can hold a legalistic thumb down on everybody who doesn't. But just because you don't find yourself there doesn't mean that you can force your liberty on everybody who does. This is Paul's point. I don't have any issue going to the beach. How many of you grew up in a situation, though, where you didn't go to the beach, you went to the ocean? Pagans went to the beach, Christians went to the ocean. I don't have any issue with the beach. But I am raising four young men. So we were recently, we visited my parents. My mama loves to go to the beach, so we always, that's our thing now. They live an hour from a beach, so we drive over there and go to the beach. We stayed there as long as we could possibly, but as the afternoon wore on and the people came out of their hiding and out of their clothes, we had to leave the beach. And all of a sudden, the boy said, where are we going? I said, oh, Pop's tired. (laughs) Pop's got to get out of the sun. And I think the older boys knew what was happening, and the young boys still probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I hope that's the case, and I'm glad. Just There's some things you're going to do. There's some things you're not going to do. There's some things that aren't necessarily bad. You might have to go at it in a different kind of a way. I, I think all of this is just fun. Christian liberty is best enjoyed alongside maturity. Christian maturity is disciplined always in self-restraint. Does this mean you can't live your life to the fullest and enjoy it? No, that's not what I said. You have Christian liberty. I'm going to give you a verse here in just a minute, Galatians 5.1, where Paul says, don't get back under bondage. You've been set free. Live free. But Christian liberty is best enjoyed alongside maturity, knowing what to do with it. And then that maturity is always discipline and self-restraint. Getting liberty wrong in either direction will lead to sinning. If you get too loose, you're going to sin through commission. You're going to do some things that you shouldn't do. If you get too legal, you're going to sin through omission. You're not going to do some things that you should be doing. Verse 8 then, he says, one way or the other is not going to fix us toward God. I love this verse. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Now here is where we find Paul's principle in the matter. We're no worse off if we do not eat. We're no better off if we do eat meat. Swindoll says it like this. The one who eats meat is not harmed. The one who abstains is not blessed. Isn't that great? The one who goes to the movies is not harmed. The one who is, abstains is not blessed. The one who goes to the beach is not harmed. The one who abstains is not blessed. You're not earning any favor with God on either end of the token. Because how do we get favor with God? Grace. Now, under grace, what does it make us want to live like? Holy. Verse 9, then, he gives the application. Based off the principle of verse 8, from the context of verses 1 through 7, verse 9 is, but take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Don't become a stumbling block, especially to those less mature in the faith than you. And that's not an insult. It's just a thing of timing and growth. Some trees grow faster than other trees. Some trees were planted long before other trees. Either way, there's a thing of timing and growth there. There's always going to be a weaker brother in your life, and you're always going to be the stronger to some, and you're probably the weaker to others. Verse ten, he says, "Be careful! Don't influence someone back to a lifestyle that God has saved them away from. For if any man see thee which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things?" which are offered to idols. Now, some would interpret that as a positive. They would say, well, I helped them there. But he goes on to say, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So you got to add verse 11 in there. Now, I think there is some help to those who've lived a different way and feel like they've got to live completely different. None of the other things from the old life can be a part of this life. Like my parents first got saved, like no TV I went from watching He-Man to, I don't know what I did, twiddled my thumbs, I guess. Poor, poor old chance. Three or four years later, we got a TV back. I flipped it on and nothing came on there. Dad, what's, where's the cable? I need to watch cartoons. And they said, this is called McGee and Me. Anybody know McGee and Me? Christian programming. Christian programming has come a long way. It was horrible back then. Nah, it wasn't that bad. I put that in. And I'd watch it. We watched some show called Five Mile Creek. I tried to find it the other day. Anybody else seen Five Mile Creek? Is this just me? Okay, I couldn't find it. I don't know that it exists anywhere. And some of you, you have your own little thing. What is it that Joshua watches all the time? What's the show he's always watching? Super Superboat. I don't know. Superbook. It's got the, the Christian principles and verses yeah, and all the Superboat. Yeah. It's your favorite. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, gotcha. So you have parents kind of like mine, huh? They just love the Lord and want you to turn out all right. Paul says here, don't be a stumbling block. Don't ruin someone's new faith. When you do, you're not just sinning against them, you're sinning against Christ. Verse 12 but when you, when you so sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. So be on the lookout for your interests, but also their interests. That's Philippians 2.4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's how we're to be living our lives. Let your love for other Christians always take precedent, in this instance, for your love for me, Verse 13. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth lest I make my brother to offend. Now, Paul is not writing this to get us to set up a system of do's and don'ts. We're not to set up a system of do's and don'ts and kind of pin our holiness to it. In fact, he's been clear in other texts that this is not the case. Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So if you're sitting here tonight and you're trying to figure out, well, I still don't think people should do this, and I wish he'd say it, be careful. You kind of gotten into the briars of bondage there, and we're not supposed to be like that. Well, but people are going to sin. Yeah, they are. Have you not sinned today? Anybody? Well, trade, you come up and preach. I'll come sit down. You can talk to me about avoiding sin in a day. I can't do it. I can't even make it an hour usually. And we don't celebrate that. We don't live unto sin so that grace may abound, for sure. Verse or 1 Timothy chapter 1. So Galatians 5, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. 1 Timothy 1, through 5-9, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith and fame, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling. Some good old English words there. What is vain jangling? Vain jangling is being entangled with the yoke of bondage. The Jews, the Pharisees, they found themselves here. They're trying to please God with all of their rules and all their keeping of their rules and all the outer show of the keeping of the roles that they had there. Paul says, some have swerved. They've, whew, they've turned aside to this. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say, nor where they affirm, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient. You're not under the law. The law is not made for you. Now, does that mean I'm not going to obey anything in the law because I'm not under it? No. still some wisdom in there. But you're not bound to it anymore. Christ fulfilled it, and he set you free. What a great master. So Paul is writing for us to take care in Christian love our weaker brothers in Christ. So there's a principle with this particular example that we use as a guide. The one who eats is not harmed. The one who abstains is not blessed. If we can live right there, that's the place to be. Now, how do I know if I'm doing that? Well, verse 9, are you being a stumbling block to anybody? No, often we won't know. I think that's all right. If you don't know, you don't know. You just live, right? Your own conscience is your God, not in the secular sense, but in the biblical sense, because as a believer, if any man be in Christ... The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What does that actually mean? It means you have a new conscience. Your spirit's been made alive. It was dead. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of you and you're alive spiritually. So now the Holy Spirit and you, you can figure out what's right and what's wrong. You can avoid the wrong and you can do the right. If it comes to your attention then, you know, you, you're doing this and you're being a stumbling block to so-and-so on this. Well, then that's, that's a different situation. But until then... The one who eats is not harmed and the one who doesn't is not blessed. With that understanding, we can live in our Christian liberty while always preferring our brother in love. I'll end with Wearsby. He says, where knowledge is balanced by love, the strong Christian will have a ministry to the weak Christian and the weak Christian will grow and become strong. That's it. When knowledge is balanced by love, the strong Christian will have a ministry to the weak Christian and the weak Christian will grow and become strong.